you the final play. Take me through it. Well, I'm the best corner in the game. When you try me with a sorry receiver like Crabtree, that's the result you're going to get. Don't you ever talk about me. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Master Plan. I'm your host, Michael Filipkowski, and today we are talking about the honored, excuse me, Arnold Palmer Invitational this past weekend, this past, well, really, four days. It was a fairly good tournament, I'd, I have to say. It was very competitive on Sunday, which means it was probably a pretty good time to watch at least. Um, obviously, we're going to be recounting everything that happened this weekend in case you didn't catch it. And then doing some light analysis of the players who kind of fell towards the top of the table and won. Now, the Arnold, pa the Arnold Palmer Invitational is arguably the hardest course on the PGA Tour schedule at every year. Um, it plays just really tough. And I think we saw that a lot this weekend with a lot of rounds over par. Uh, sometimes it's the way it just happens. Uh, you're the eventual winner who I'm not, I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, let me just let's see how he played the first few rounds. The eventual winner of the tournament. Played two rounds at. So that should tell you everything you need to know that, generally speaking, it was a pretty damn tough tournament, right? If the eventual winner plays two rounds at par, that means the scores were not that low. It was a very competitive tournament. And because of the difficulty, gave us a really nice Sunday of a lot of people within one or two strokes of each other. But let's go back to day one and day two to set the stage. Day one probably had the lowest scores out of any single day in the tournament, I'd say overall. Uh, obviously, there were guys who shot, you know, who had really good scores on later days in the tournament. But I'd say the first day, the first round, was where the majority of the guys uh, shot the lowest that they would shoot during the entire tournament. Uh, you know, there were guys who were shooting four, five under, which is really good for, for an opening day. That's kind of where you want to be. Uh, John Rahm led the way. I think he shot, he shot what, 60? He shot like 64 or something on day one, which was incredible. I'm trying to find him. Yeah, he shot 65 on day one, which is super solid. Uh, there's a bunch of other guys. Let's see. All right. I'm trying to look for guys that you would know. Keegan Bradley was 
four under. Scotty Scheffler was four under. Jordan Spieth was four under. Patrick Cantlay was four under. Harris English was three under. Uh, Justin Thomas was, I believe he was five under, I want to say. Now he shot even on, on day one. On day two, he was five under. Uh, it was it was just a very competitive first two days, right? There were a lot of guys in the mix after the first two days, but we all knew that the weekend was definitely going to be more competitive and it was definitely going to be much tougher, right? As we all know, with golf tournaments, uh, one of the biggest things is flag location, pin, pin location, right? Because that kind of determines really how accessible whole locations are, right? And obviously on the first two days, it's not that the holes are pinned in easy locations because one of the things about Latrobe Country Club, which is where the Arnold Palmer, the Arnold Palmer Invitational is held, is that the greens are notoriously difficult, right? And there's a lot of very subtle breaks uh, and it makes it really tough for a lot of guys to get it on the green. Uh, and there's a lot of water aspects on the course and the rough, if you get yourself into the rough, sometimes it can be very hard to get it out because it's usually very thick. The sand is very fine. So sometimes the ball can be punched into the sand Whereas at other courses, right, the sand's not as fine, it will kind of sit on top. So there's a lot of factors that make this course very difficult to play on. Uh, but after the first two days, we had a bunch of guys who were who were in the mix, right? John Rahm shot plus four on day two, so he was minus three overall. Uh, Rory McIlroy, after a tough start on day one, he actually was one over on day one. Shot 69 to make the cut. The cut ended up being plus one, I believe, which is about where we would expect the cut to be for most. Uh, actually, the cut was plus two, excuse me. So it was, I mean, that's, that's a, I guess, a, I would say a shot, a stroke higher than where we'd expect it to be for a PGA event. Usually they're quite a bit lower, but there were a whole lot of players who finished uh who finished above par in this tournament slash who also finished uh, at the cut line or, 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 or worse. Um, again, in this tournament, those who finished above far, there was 38 players who finished par or better. So, you know, it's about half the field. There were 72 total players, right? So 38 of them finished even par or better, so about half the field finished over par, right? And then you, you know, you kind of look at those even pars, the middle ground. Um, Justin Thomas, again, he had a very solid day two, as I mentioned. Uh, Cantlay and Fitzpatrick both were at minus five after days days one and two, rounds one and two. Uh, George Spieth was at minus seven, so he was, I don't know if he was your proverbial, uh, he, was, he was up there for sure. Uh, Xander Shoffley was tied at third with Corey Connors at minus six. Uh, but your leader through the first two days was Kurt Kitayama at minus nine. Uh, and a little backstory on Kurt. Uh, he is this, he had never won a tournament. This is his one of, you know, I guess we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, so 
He has zero PGA Tour wins. Before this, I don't know where he was standing. Before this tournament, I don't know where he was standing uh, in terms of World Golf Ranking and, and FedEx Cup. Uh, he had one other top 10 finish this season. Uh, he had one runner-up, which I guess was the same thing. Three top 25. He's made six cuts, missed three. Uh, I believe this is his first year on the PGA Tour, but he's played. Okay, no, he's he's had uh, other years on the PGA Tour. Okay. But he's had uh, lots of other wins on on other various tours. He has two, he has three international wins. Um, and he would be the eventual winner, so I can stop trying to dance around it. He would be the eventual winner of this tournament, his first victory ever. But how this tournament got to this place, I think, is the best part. So round three for most guys was very difficult. Uh, Scotty Scheffler shot 68, 72, 68. So he was sitting at a nice minus eight after the first three rounds. Um, but day three was, I think, where we really saw, like, there, there was, it was very up and down, right? Patrick Cantlay and Jordan Spieth, who I just mentioned, both shot two over par on day, on, on in round three. So they were both falling back, actually. Matt Fitzpatrick saw a 76-4 over par. Uh, Justin Thomas shot even par. Sanjay Im shot even par. Uh, there were a lot of players who struggled. Again, Sanjay Im, or excuse me, Kirk Hidayama shot even par uh, uh, in round three. Uh, McElroy shot 68, so he continued to reduce his score. He shot, he sat at, where did he sit at after day three? I'm just trying to find where I wrote him down. He sat, at, I believe he was at minus. Minus six after three days. Uh, Scheffler was at minus eight. Terrell Hatton was at minus seven. He shot 66. I think that was the round three best. Uh, I guess, no, that was tied with Victor Hovland, who also shot 66 after his first and second round, 71. So he was sitting at eight under par. Uh, yeah, Roy was in... Fifth place, high for fifth with minus six with Harris English. Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth were tied at seven at minus five. Uh, Fitzpatrick again was plus four on the day. He was one under in the tournament. Uh, Xander Shoffley shot plus three on the day. He was minus three on the tournament. Cameron Young, he was even par, but he had four bogeys, which again, it was a lot, it was a lot of up and down for a lot of these guys. There was a lot of bogeys. It wasn't that there wasn't a lot of birdies right? Guys were making birdies. There was a decent amount of birdies, but there was just so many bogeys. Look at a guy, Jason Day, who finished tied for 10th in the tournament, minus five. His round three, he had one, two, three, four, five, six birdies, three bogeys, not, you know, again, that's an up and down round. You know, six birdies, three bogeys, that means you're parring half the holes and the other half you're scoring on, whether that's a positive or a negative. Uh, Kirk Kitayama, his round three, so he had a triple, excuse me, a double bogey on number four. Was this the day he hit it out of bounds or was that? No. Yeah, so 
On in round three, he actually hit one out of bounds on hole number four, and that's why he double bogeyed. Uh, John Rahm shot a back-to-back 76s. So, again, John Rahm, the best golfer in the world, shooting four over par uh, for the second and third rounds is insane. Uh, that that almost never happens. This is a guy who has multiple wins this year. Uh, so to see him struggle as much as he did in rounds three and four should kind of give you the the feeling or – I guess the idea of how tough it was. There was one point where John Rahm on 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13, he bogeyed six of those seven holes. That's crazy. Uh, Six bogeys, one par in a span of seven holes for the world number one golfer. Uh, Eight bogeys total in round three. It was a very tough day, right? But it set up a really nice round four where we knew there were going to be a lot of guys in. Again, we had McElroy, Speed. Uh, Justin Thomas, Scheffler, Hovland, Kirk Kitayama, but a lot of really like well-known golfers, even Patrick Cantlay, Harris English. A lot of guys were in the mix, Tyrrell Hatton. The list goes on and on. And day four absolutely 100% lived up to the hype, right? Day four was awesome. Uh, it was such a competitive round. At one point, there were at least about seven or eight guys who were either at seven under or eight under, halfway, two-thirds of the way through the final round. We were at hole 12, 13, 14, 15, and there were guys, you know, seven or eight guys sitting at seven or eight under, so with one shot of each other uh, for the lead. And, you know, it really came down to just knowing for about, and if you were listening to the broadcast, right, you would have heard this, but for those of you who weren't, there was about a 45-minute stretch to an hour stretch where just no one could make a birdie putt. There were plenty of guys who had birdie putts. Tyrrell Hatton had them. Jordan Spieth had them. McElroy had them. And whether it was a birdie putt or a clutch par putt, whichever one it would be, no one could convert, right? No one could convert those huge big putts, those momentum-shifting putts, right? So and as a result, everyone kind of stayed at seven or eight under. Uh, now, Kirk Kitayama, right, was having a decent day. Up until the ninth hole, where he ended up hitting. So before the ninth hole, he was two under on the day, sitting at minus 11. I believe he had a two-stroke lead in the tournament. On number nine, he triple bogeyed, right? He triple bogeyed the fourth hole because he had another ball out of bounds. Uh, And at that point, the field really opened up because he went from minus 11 to minus eight. Jordan Spieth birdied a hole, so he was at minus nine. It was very, very tight. Uh, ultimately, right, McElroy ended up finishing in tied for second place with Harris English. They actually both shot 70 on the day. Harris English was the only player, I believe, in round four to shoot, to have a bogey-free round, and he was under par, two under. And McElroy, he did have, I believe, two, he had three bogeys, four bogeys. Okay, McElroy had five bogeys, he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven birdies. So we only parred one, two, three, four, five, six holes, uh, which is crazy. A really up and down day for a lot of these guys. Again, day four, a lot of greens were tough to hit. A lot of, you know, a lot of putts being left short. Uh, a lot of tough reads. 
it was a tough day. You go back to number 15 for McElroy. That was the fifth, uh, the 15th hole. That was a bogey hole for him. He drove it into the rough, crossed the, the fairway into the rough, then got it onto the green. So this is a par four. So his second shot, I think, went off the green into a collection area. He then chipped it on, missed a putt, and yeah, it was a 24-foot putt that went six inches to the hole and obviously missed. He then bogeyed the hole. So it was just a very tough day for a lot of these guys. It was not an easy day by any stretch of the imagination. But I digress, right? Jordan Spieth had the lead for a brief period of time. Uh, he was, you know, at one point on the day, he was actually five under. Right After hole 13, which he birdied, right? A nice uh, nice par four, which he just absolutely destroyed, right? Nice drive, set him up for a beautiful uh, iron shot that went, how far away was this from the hole? Yeah, 13 feet from the hole. It was beautiful. But then on 14 and 15, he bogeyed. And then on 17, he bogeyed. It was just just not good. I mean, he was just, he, you know, he just did not hit the same type of shots that you would expect him to hit, right? 14 is a par three into the sand. Again, 15, a really tough hole on the day for a lot of guys. Uh, Jordan almost hit it out of bounds. Then did pretty much the same thing as Rory. Hit it across the fairway into the rough. When he got to the green, he just just misses. You know, he just was not hitting the same type of putts that you would expect him uh, to make, which is really, again, really disappointing because he was in the lead and he was a guy who I think a lot of people are rooting for if you saw the crowds. Uh, Scotty Scheffler, you know, very interesting what happened to him. Uh, you would expect Scotty Scheffler, the winner of this tournament last year, to be fairly consistent through the final stretch, but he bogeyed 18, which really took him out of the, any any sort of the running, right? Because at that point, Kitayama was at either 8-under or 9-under, so we knew Scheffler needed at least a par to kind of at least stay in the mix. He... Very uncharacteristic bogey on 18, uh, left his second shot really short uh, in the rough, and then his pitch shot was quite atrocious, if I say so myself. Uh, overall, it was just a really tough day for a lot of guys, including, again, Kirk Kitayama, the eventual winner, who shot even par the final two days. Like, it wasn't, he wasn't going under par, and he eventually won. Uh it was a really fun tournament to watch. Hatton and Hovland had really tough days, but it was a really fun tournament to watch because of how competitive it was. Right? This is one of the most competitive tournaments I've seen in a while, and it's really nice that the PGA Tour has implemented these designated events where we know, where we can guarantee that we can see, hey, these are the best golfers in the world, and we can on a weekly basis see Fitzpatrick, Finau, Rory, Scheffler, Spieth, Thomas, Gala. Uh, hopefully Tiger will come back and play some more tournaments. That would be, that'd be awesome. But 
having these sort of designated events where we're guaranteed to see these big names take the field uh, is really good for golf because it creates all these competitive finishes. And, you know, again, a guy like Kirk Kitayama still has the same chance, you know, starting on Thursday as everyone else, which is fantastic. Uh, and this is a huge win for him, obviously, winning his first PGA tournament. Uh, I believe he made something like three or four million dollars. Uh, again, the purses are a little bit bigger this year. So as a result, he's making a little bit more money. Uh, he's currently 39th in the FedEx Cup ranking. So he's, again, winning a tournament like this gives you the ability to, to, to qualify for a bunch of the tournaments later on in the year. Uh, you know, again, he was just super solid for the majority of the tournament. Obviously, he had uh, his moments, right? But I think what really made Kitayama the best player in this tournament was his ability to kind of deal with adversity, right? His ability, because if you look at his strokes game putting, he was middle of the field, right? Or he is middle of the field. Uh, he's a good scrambler. He's good from the sand, but he's not great scrambling from the rough. Uh, his approach is pretty good. His approach from uh, more than 200 yards is pretty good. But, you know, again, most of the time we're talking about a pretty average golfer, right? Not, not a guy who's lighting up the score sheet in very many ways, right? But I think what allowed him to win this type of tournament was his ability to kind of contend with, hey, listen, this tournament is just really, really tough. And it's going to test me in all of these sorts of areas. And no, I'm not going to, you know, have perfect rounds. Again, Harris English had a really nice round in the final round. And you would argue that, again, not very many people did what uh, Harris English did. But the ability for Kurt Kitayama... To contend with all of these different things that were going on, right? The ability for him to almost, how do I put this? Uh, his ability to just kind of roll with the punches, right? Triple bogeys on the final day, on the final round. You're leading by, by a couple of strokes. He was leading by two strokes. You triple bogey a hole. Right, you're leading your first ever tournament. Excuse me, Kirk Kitayama is now sixth in the FedEx Cup rank. I don't know why I said 36th. Uh, you're leading by two strokes in the final round of one of the better, like one of the bigger tournaments of the year. Like I'd say Arnold Palmer is, you know, one of the top PGA tournaments. It's not one of the lower events, right? I mean, all of them are big, but I'd say this is probably one of the bigger ones. It's definitely historic and Definitely one that's a little bit more revered just because of how tough the course is. And you're leading. And you triple bogey the ninth hole and the ability to kind of recover from that. And on, on, on basically the back nine, you make almost zero mistakes, right? He actually made zero mistakes. He was bogey free on the back nine. He birdied one hole, parted the rest. That was good enough for nine under to win $3.6 million. Uh, 
he was just so calm, cool, and collected, right? He did everything he needed to do on the back nine. He wasn't doing too much, right? He wasn't putting too much pressure on himself. He was getting the ball in, in on green in regulation. He was getting pots close. He was giving them runs. And if you look at number 17 for him, right, it was just an absolutely beautiful iron shot, right? Again, this is the second to last hole of the course, right? Needs a birdie. And he puts the ball, you know, 24 feet, 25 feet from the hole. 13 feet, excuse me. And birdies it. It makes a clutch putt. And then on 18, right, I would argue probably the best putt of the day for him, right? Literally, literally, a 47-foot putt, right, lands, you know, he puts it to it. Like, literally, it's on the edge of the hole, right? One more revolution, I would have went in. An absolutely expert putt, hit his drive in the rough, great iron shot. His ability to contend with imperfect situations. His ability to say, okay, I'm not in the best situation and recover from that is why I think he had the most success. Because you compare him to a guy like Victor Hovland, right, who had a decent day three and arguably could have won this tournament. But Hovland, especially in those last three holes, was not able to contend with making mistakes, right? He put one in the water on 16. And on 18, he just he wasn't making the putts he needed to make. So I think his ability, right, Kitayama's, to almost not avoid making mistakes, but when you do make a mistake, have the ability to recover from it is why I think he was able to win this tournament. And it was so competitive. And I think this is a great lead-up tournament into the players, which I expect to be one of the most competitive tournaments of the year, right? The, the players' tournament's going to be a lot of fun. But this was a really competitive tournament, and I thought we saw a lot of great golf and a very tough course. And congratulations to Kirk Kitayama on the biggest victory of his career thus far. I'm sure we'll probably see some more from him. Uh, and, and it was just, it's really nice to see so many golfers, right? At the same time, so many really talented golfers, your top golfers in the world, right? Your top 30 golfers on the, uh, uh, world golf rankings, right? All in one place, playing the same tournament the same weekend. That's awesome. And I think people love it. Fans love it. The players love it. The fields are so competitive and it leads to really nice finishes. So thank you all for listening to another episode of the Master Play. We'll be back next week with the players. Have a great day. The game on the line. One shot. Who would you rather have taking it? Iggy or Curry? Of everyone on Golden State, open shot, fate of the universe on the line, or the Martians have the death beam pointed at Earth, you better hit it. I want Iguodala.